for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It is Monday, February 19th, 2024, <laughs> President's Day. The markets are closed, but there's certainly a lot to talk about it. Talk about related to mortgage, mortgage rates, so we're going to be doing that. Again, a lot going on in mergers and acquisitions, talking some about that. So we've got a full podcast today, even though it is President's Day. We're looking forward to getting into it. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We're so grateful to have you as our listener. Again, our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. Joining me again is my co-host, Mark Hell. Mark, good to have you here. Good to be here, sir. You bet. Also, we got Bill Corbett and Alan Pollock dialed in. Everyone else is taking President's Day off. Man, we've got a lot to cover. Good to have our team here. Let's get into it again. When you look at what's going on out there, we've got to have great partners. And we're so grateful to have our partners, our sponsors. And I'm talking about Byte Software, where you can work the way you want with Byte's highly configurable LOS to architecture, along with their robust process and controls that they have, the flexibility and the integration tools they have. Again, you'll enjoy exceptional level of customization with an intuitive interface that does not require an army or a small fortune to administrate. Also, Finastra, with their Fusion Mortgage Bot POS system, it personalizes the application path based on the borrower-specific information and loan type. A very customizable, configurable system. I encourage you to check them out. Also, they're the largest fintech company in the world, so we definitely love them as a partner and get insights from them. We're talking to them right now about scheduling some upcoming podcasts and their view on AI. When you're looking at the largest fintech company in the world, love to get their perspective on things like AI. What is it going to be doing here in our markets? Also, we have Angel AI as a sponsor of the podcast, another AI company popping up in the industry. And what they do will blow your mind. You've got to check out Angel AI, also total expert. It's the only purpose-built CRM and customer engagement platform to create growth and loyalty for the modern lenders and financial institutions. Also, lender homepage. Love what these guys are doing. They're building custom web pages for you that allow you to connect, convert, and close more loans with their AI, another AI company, Power Digital Platform that empowers loan officers to connect with the more ideal clients, borrowers to boost the realtor referrals and get more loans closed in less time. Also, True, got to check out True. If you're interested in saving money, True does that. But they're a competitor to the number one uh, largest company in the space. But they do it for 80% less in fees. So you got to check out the cost-saving benefit of True. Also, they do insurance verifications, employment verifications, and they do so in a decreased amount of time. They cover over 90% of the employers out there. Check out True, T-R-U-B. Also, go to our website. Again, also Mortgage Bankers Association of America. Thank you for them, for their sponsorship, along with Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, Knowledge Coop, I Emergent, Mobility MMI, and Modex. 
Also, we're grateful for our regulars. Adam DeSantis is here, as is Les Parker. Matt Graham's taking the day off with the markets closed. David Kittle is as well. So is Alice Alvey. But we got Alan Pollock. And, of course, our news contributor, Bill Horbett. Man, he's got so much wisdom. So excited about Bill being a regular on here with us. Let's start out by going over to the MBA's Mortgage Minute with a report from Adam DeSantis. Adam, what do you have for us? Hi, I'm Adam DeSantis. This is the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. Last week, MBA 2024 Chairman Mark Jones testified before the House Committee on Veterans Affairs Economic Opportunity Subcommittee on the VA Home Loan Program. The hearing began with an initial panel featuring John Bell, Executive Director, Loan Guarantee Service at the VA. A second panel hearing included Jones, along with Ed DeMarco, President of the Housing Policy Council, and Steve Sharp from National Consumer Law Center. Reactions from key subcommittee members focused primarily on Bell's testimony and his responses to questions regarding VA's proposed Veterans Assistance Servicing Purchase Program. Jones's testimony centered on the following MBA recommendations on v- the VA should consider, including implementing a permanent partial claim option, tying the level of the VA home loan funding fee to the actual credit risk within the program, and delegating management of VA appraiser panels to lenders, the same way that the process works with every other government mortgage loan program. So, what's next? MBA supports Senate legislation S-3728 that directly authorizes permanent partial claim authority for the VA. MBA staff will continue to work with key members of both the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Authorizing Committees and the agency itself to push for the recommendations Mark Jones emphasized within his testimony. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Good job. Appreciate you, Adam, getting that into us. Um, Really grateful for the leadership Mark Jones is bringing to the NBA. Mark is a good friend. And if you go over to the Licking on Leadership podcast, you'll hear that Mark is a co-host with me on a number of the interviews we have up there. So Mark really supporting you and what you're doing at the NBA. Thank you for your service there. And um, starting off right away with major testimony, an important one, by the way, sign up for the mortgage action Alliance app on your smartphone to support what the NBA is doing on the Hill. You do not have to be a member of the NBA to participate, but you should be. So get, go get signed up. Now it's time for TM Spotlight, this week's Macro View of the Markets with Les Parker. Les, what do you got for us? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Well, we're buying down the locks, trying to loosen our loans. Got a world of guidelines on our minds. Let's look long term. China's fertility rate is among the lowest globally. It fell below its replacement rate in 1991. As a result, its population likely will collapse by 50% in 75 years. Along the way, the ratio of workers to seniors will drop 50% in 10 years. So China's debt burden will crush it, impacting the world. Back to today. For U.S. rates to rise, they need helpful news on inflation, growth, or debt. The Fed doesn't expect it. Bulls gotta know a Fed sweet ease. It's gonna save them. These views are mine. Take it easy at tmspotlight.com. Good job, Les Parker. We always enjoy your insights that you have for us. Be sure to sign up for Les's TM Spotlight newsletter. You can do so and get the paid version of his newsletter. For free is a great word, and you get it. It's packed with so much information. 
So all you have to do to get the paid version for free is put in the word power for power seller in the sign up code and get a great daily newsletter. Les puts so much into this newsletter and there's so much packed in here. I tell you, even though if you do not think you understand the capital markets, or even if you do, you've got to get this. It has been one of the things I've read for decades now. And man, so thrilled to have participation with last good job. He called me last night. You're going to be doing a podcast. I said, we always do a podcast, even on Christmas. So we're podcasting away here. Thank you Les, for the effort. And Gary Cantrone got to give him a shout out because he supports Les and edits it and get us that all together in the way. What's interesting guys. Did you know that Les Parker sings that without the music playing? He guesses and gets it pitch perfect, almost pitch perfect every single time. It's amazing how he does that. So anyway, kudos to you, Les. Quite a lot of talent there. If you ever want to get in the music business, uh, when you're done with the mortgage business, you have a future there. Matt Graham would be joining us live here, but again, the markets are closed, so he is taking the day off. So we're going to get into talking about the recent market moves with our co-host, Mark Helm and Bill Corbett. Let's get started, Bill. I'm really interested in your perspective on what happened Last week, when you look at interest rates, we looked at what happened again on Friday. There's just a lot of reasons for a lot of lenders to be discouraged out there. Talk a little bit about it. Thanks, Steve. So I think first, the market got a bit ahead of itself and got whipsawed by first CPI, which is clearly the much, much more important reading. But then once the market started teetering a little bit, then you have PPI comes along with the little additional shove in the back and lo and behold rates wind up the week a quarter percent or, or so higher and you know i think as Les and matt have talked about 10-year yields in 420 to 440 range create a lot of concern you know are they going to yeah. keep heading higher from there don't know but yeah. i think a lot of it again is just the market got ahead of itself yeah the rally that we had there and the Valentine's massacre that happened last week. It was pretty brutal. Yeah, not good. So are we going to be settling in? Is this the upper end of the trading range, would you say? To me, I think it is the upper end of the trading range. And I, could the markets sell off a little bit more from here? Absolutely. But I still think that the grind down and rates will be resuming fairly soon. And it's going to be a grind. I don't think we're going to have quick, dramatic moves. When you say grind, let's put a little context around that. I mean, we, we're going to be down a little, up a little, down again, but the overall it, jagged line will be heading it, down. Is that what you mean it, by the grind? Or are we going to have it, just some exactly. really wild swings? No, I think it's going to be more the, the former, that the magnitude of the swings will narrow and week on week rates may be a little under an eighth in rate improvement in a week, flat a week, slight improvement, that kind of movement. Yeah, that kind of grinding, but at least in a downward trend. Mark, any thoughts on the rates in last week's more moves? I got a couple of comments, David. I hate to be a naysayer, but I think that when you have what we had in the last number of months, we have one step forward, two step backwards. It seems to happen over and over again. And since I grew up in the business back when we had those 18, 19% rates, I know how bad the market can get in certain situations. And we certainly had that in my past and it took a good while to recovery. But I think every comment Bill has made is on point. But I'll add one to that. I think that what's happening in the market today is going to create 
opportunities for very strong companies. And we talked about this earlier in the line of acquisitions because I think some good companies have just had enough of it playing the game and some people, investors and whatnot, going to get out of the business. And I think there's going to be some good deals to be had on some quality companies, especially by companies that want to grow bigger and posture themselves. So when the market comes back, I think that's something that's going to help us. But my biggest fear, and David, you and I have talked about this a couple of times, is my biggest fear is the world markets and the effect they're going to have on our interest rates in this country. Yeah. And we've got things happening in and around Israel right now. We've still got the Ukraine thing going on. We've got all these conspiracy theories about, and maybe not conspiracy theories, about China and Russia mounting joint efforts to do us in, and they're cruising together and doing all these war games together and been doing that for a few years. And all we need is one major incident and our market's going to go to hell overnight. So we just got so much out there that could affect us. And then this thing yeah. with Putin and the guy dying over there, you just never know what the end yeah, game is going to be on any of this. Yeah. So I'm concerned about that and the effect it might have on the market in the short term. Yeah, you're talking about the geopolitical landscape that we've yes, got sir. In, in front yeah. of us. And, and it's certainly it's very disconcerting. But typically those kind of things – there's a flight to quality drives interest rates down. I think it's going to have a negative effect on it. I think that the rates are going to have a negative effect on rates. Rates are going to go up. I, I just think that it's going to be, we're just a country and we got some allies. And if something major happens, that looks like we're going to have a world confrontation with other powers or a war or something like that. It's going to spell disasters for our financial markets as we interchange with other countries. And I think that's going to roll back into our financial markets and have an effect on what we do with our, our people in this country and where interest rates are and all that. It, now, I'm not talking about changes of things that happen like earthquakes and stuff like that or the yeah, storm yeah, crap we've had the last year. But I'm talking about some kind of major, one of these things yeah, turn into a major yeah. thing. If NATO gets in war with Russia or if we get a war with some kind of tat for going back and forth with Russia and China, or I don't know if, if those are some things. And we still got some areas of the country, the world, that has a lot of things going on in them that haven't peaked. There's some issues going on in some aspects of South America and Africa that turn into big things. And we don't know what's going to happen in that Israel thing over there. And that's had a dramatic effect in that area recently. I just think that any of those things have the possibility to explode and take us in the wrong direction. And Bill, I agree. In the past, and, it usually helps rate rather than hurts rate. But now yeah. I don't know. You're well, not so sure about that. But so, Bill, it's always been a flight to quality. Hasn't it always been? It's been labeled a flight to quality, but it's really also been a flight to stability. And that was when things went badly, the flight to quality was a investment and a bet in U.S. and the U.S. financial markets to do the right thing. I think right now there's so much going on in the world where folks don't trust what the U.S. reaction is going to be to something that people pull money out and now there's a chance they could be holding it in cash versus even putting it into treasury. So I don't think that flight to quality is a foregone conclusion anymore. That's really interesting. I've always seen the geopolitical things when that, things happen. It's always has been in the past, more of a flight quality, but worries me a little bit, guys. I was thinking, I like the grinding lower. We're going to see that. It's not going to take us too much. We're still up to, in the low sevens. If you're looking at the rates bill a little bit more than I am. I'm looking at the what's on MBS Live on the screen right behind me. And it looked like the seven and quarters, seven and an eighth is still the predominant 30-year fixed rate. Is that what you're seeing? 
that's what I'm seeing. And, and also, as we've seen some of the dips in rates, it really feels like when rates hit between six and a half and six and three quarters, there's a noticeable pickup in activity. Yes. To me, it's not like rates are totally just way out off the it. mark. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's not going to take much to get as we grind lower. What's that matching point? The bigger problem is, again, the amount of housing availability. And hopefully the builders are going to get on it and be building more homes. And we're going to see that our daughter is home with our grandbaby. Love grandbabies. So all the grandparents out there, man, I'm finally in a grandparent category. So it's just wonderful. And they're out buying a home. They're looking at a Lennar home in North Dallas and, and buying a home up there. And they've got a forward commitment in the 4% high force. And that's a real strong motivator for the first time home buyers as they, but even with that interest sales have slowed down. And so they, it's the negative, the uncertainty that's out there. So got to keep builders building, got to keep this market moving. Good commentary all the way around. Mark, you brought up something that is very significant. Seeing as Alice is not here, I want to talk about with you and Bill and of course, get Alan's take in on it. Well, is mergers and acquisitions. You touched on that, Mark. We saw the announcement last week of Guild Mortgage, a highly regarded, respected company. I've been in their executive offices and presented to them. You've consulted to them. You know them well. Love to get your thoughts on this. And then I have another one to talk about. We'll need to leave the names off because an M&A deal that's not going so well. And But just the general climate, Mark. Thoughts? More M&A coming? Yeah, I, th I think we're going to see more. I think that there's two factors that's going to affect it. And I think I'm interested to hear Bill's opinion on this in just a minute. But I think the two factors that I see out there are, number one, there are there is a, I talk to too many people in the industry that are starting to have less and less a stomach for our industry. And they're, they're usually the smaller to small mid-sized companies. And if more of those are putting their companies on the market and leaving the industry, there will be some folks that want to gain market share and gain geographical disposition and all that might buy those companies. So I think there will be acquisitions from that. And then on the flip side, the companies that have sound investors and have more money, capital they want to put out when it's a real question of where to put that money these days, uh, I think they, I, I see them funding more acquisitions of these, especially when they perceive to be a good return and a good deal to grow the existing company they got. Now, I think those two factors, the cash being available and a willing seller being out there available at a reasonable price are going to drive more acquisitions. I got the utmost respect for Gill. I think it's one of the finest companies in the country. It's got very excellent leadership. Uh, and I, I don't think they do. They did an acquisition a while back of, of there in uh, Denver. And it was just, a, I think, a great acquisition for them and a good acquisition for their growth. And I think they're the kind of company that will happen to. And we're doing this in a time when the big bank approach in this company has moved away sharply from mortgage banking. It's, you hear the, the Wells Fargo's and the Bank of America's and the Chase's. Their idea about mortgage presence, I think, is have less. And we've got other mid-sized yeah. banks picking up on that some a little bit. So I think we're in some market changes. But I think this could be a big acquisition boom we've got going here and a good merger yeah. boom that will a be good for the industry. Is this it's just an isolated incident? And I said, no, I, I really believe that we're going to see a lot more. And I think it's a fatigue aspect. And you talk about different fatigue. You whip, get whipsawed around enough. And there's enough companies out there that have done well. And in, they're looking at an opportunity to go to the window and just say, okay, this is it. Let's cash out. I'm 
part of this. And an increasing number of those will be happening, I'm fairly certain. And I think it's going to be most active in the top 20. I believe that we're going to see more activity in the top 20. So of the yeah. lenders that are out there. So now let me, I want let me to talk- give you one more comment on that, David. Yeah, then I we could. have bills. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We, we've had this deal where a number of people have, have exited the wholesale market, a number of the big companies. I think some of the smaller companies would like to do a little wholesale to manage yeah. their pipeline and have not as much risk in one pipeline as whatnot. So I think there's some opportunities to grow that. But I think the biggest opportunity, I've worked with uh, two companies recently that fall right in this category. I got one company over here. It's primarily a uh, correspondent lender and really a non-government lender. Okay. And they see the opportunity to pick up somebody that's a big government lender. And then I got another company I work with that is primarily a wholesale lender and a lender, but they do government and they would like to reach out and pick up more of the retail business that's is non-government. People are trying to diverse their risk base in their company by picking up divisions that complement their the program they want to go into. And they're not doing it from scratch, which makes it very valuable for them. They're yeah. buying a unit that can be profitable and be in business day one. And I think that's going to escalate the drive for people to grow companies right now. Yeah. I think acquisition growth by acquisition is going to be the way to go for the bigger companies. Now there are some other companies out there and I'm not going to repeat the names of it because I like the people there, but here is, there's a major company out on the West coast that picked up a company in the Midwest and the number of the, they bought the company and the number of production people that are not going to the acquiring company is alarming. It's so I think there goes a lot to when you buy one of these companies, what do you do to maintain the the production elements? You're, that's the number one reason. You're not wanting to buy the liabilities. You want to buy the production. But we're finding an increasing number of them really struggling with that. Bill, you and I have seen this for yeah. a number of years. Yeah. So but, first, to your comment about the top 20, there's things going on even in just financial services overall. Right? Capital One just announced today that they're buying Discover. Yeah. Right? Scale matters. And I think to, I see the industry evolving more as a barbell where the, Interesting. the biggest folks are going after other big players to get the mega scale that they feel they need to compete. And the smaller players, you know, can still be competitive if they leverage their local niche, things that Mark talked about, we're building on your expertise. Um, but it's that large group in the middle that is stuck. They're not big enough to have the yeah. efficiency and the scale. And there's some of them that are, in, you know, somebody will be successful, but they're going to try and grow into the large size. But I think most of what we're going to see is the larger ones buying either a peer or a series of smaller organizations. And, and to your last point, the buying that's really hard to make sure that you keep the culture and the sales talent that you're acquiring. Yes. Yeah. That is so hard to do for many people. We specialize that in that, and as a consultants to the industry, we work with a lot of firms out there and making sure of that. And it's what's really amazing. Bill and Mark is the amount of really rookie mistakes that are being made. 
to do that. It's not that difficult to keep those people. But it starts where it all starts when you say hello and you just have you start your initial conversations. It's so important. Les Parker works with us, Bill, on a number of M&A deals. And that is, it, it starts with hello. When the M&A deal, it starts with hello. That's where your first conversation gets started. What's the basis for it? How it's communicated out to the people. And at the end of the day, a lot of, it's really hard to hold on some of these loan originators because they see themselves as free agents. They do not feel that they are obligated to go with a sale. And in case, one particular case of a West Coast lender buying a Midwest company, that did not happen. And it's really got to be disconcerting for that. So anyway, that's the thought. Mark, any final thoughts on that topic? I've talked to two people that kind of fall in the circumstances you're talking about. And both of them were, one was a manager of a small retail unit of a company that was being acquired. And one of them was one of their sub-managers over a certain region and whatnot, and they didn't go with the company. And one of them said, the smaller manager, he said, I'm just ready. I'm tired of the uncertainty in our industry. I'm going to find something else to do. Okay. The other person felt like he could take a lot of his people he had there and they could go move somewhere else and be more successful and sell themselves to somebody they're choosing rather than somebody their company decided to sell to. So I think there's a lot of attention being paid by those Salesforce people these days about their future and what they expect out of their future. And they don't see the decisions made necessarily by the company as necessarily being one they got to live with or being right by them. Of course, there's things like non-competes and everything else that come into play. But I think people are trying to look out after themselves everywhere they can. This is an industry where it's a, what's in it for me. It's so true. The salespeople, especially Mark, you touched on something that was a really interesting point about those that have a retail presence that are going into third-party originations, the wholesale channel. And you and I know someone that we're very close to that is doing just that. And it is a great way to pick up incremental volume. It doesn't have to be a major part of it. because You see a lot of these bigger entities shutting down their wholesale. Hard to compete with UWM, but there are niche players out there and you can compete. And it's a great way to pick up additional volume. But it's also a chance to get connected with possible recruits for your retail operation. You do well enough, you can get them to come on in. It's a great way to do it. I think you're right on target. And I'm going to do a little sales pitch for our future podcast about service and retention and quality servicing portfolios. I definitely think that depending on where loans come from, there's a a cause and effect that happens with them, whether they're correspondent or wholesale or just normal originations. And I think selecting loans that you want to service and keep long-term and market areas you want to be in, and also having a diversity of products coming from them, because we know certain products are more subject to refi from where they came from, et cetera, which hurts your prepayment speeds and all. So I think some of this diversification you do is going to help you retain a better quality portfolio. And and David and I are going to talk about that in a a future podcast about three-part series on servicing that's important for the lenders to really understand what's happening to them now. But I think we're going to see things like that happening all the time, David. I really do. I do. I agree. Bill, any final thoughts on the third-party originations, smaller guys getting into that space as a way to augment their production thoughts? I agree completely with Mark's thoughts. Alan Pollock is here with us. Always love getting the tech update. And Alan, we really enjoy this. (laughs) Good to have you joining in. Any comment you have about what we've talked about here before? Should we get right into the tech side? No, just been interestingly listening. 
I think it's been some great feedback and information. All right, let's start with Slack. We talk in our industry all about our people being efficient when they're working from home. What tools are they using? I know a lot of the lenders and companies like using Microsoft tools because of the reporting and analytics. Microsoft automatically tells you as an administrator how efficient people are being. You get analytics. Well, there people aren't thrilled about this, but there is a tool out there. It's called Aware, A-W-A-R-E. It's a startup in Ohio. They launched in 2017, but they use AI to go through the company's Slack. And they, it analyzes employees' interactions. It analyzes their messages. It looks at how various groups of employees feel about the company. Is there bullying or discrimination going on? Are they sharing confidential information when they shouldn't? Are they sending inappropriate texts and pictures? And how often teams communicate with one another? So in the work from home days, I can see this technology becoming a great thing. There's already people out there. They want to sue, aware. They say it's against your rights. But just like anything, your email is monitored by the company and there's tools. You sign up to use these tools. They're owned by the company and they're used for business purposes. And you do sign agreements most times when you join a company about all of these different things. You go through discrimination and bullying training. You go through your NDA and and being able to share confidential information. So if you work at a technology vendor, this is important. And if you work at a lender, this could be important. So anyway, check it out if you're interested. I don't know my feelings on it, but luckily I am a fractional employee and or a consultant. And so I don't have to worry so much. I can only monitor myself. But moving along, David, OpenAI. By the way, if you've not used the GPTs, so pay to use GPT Pro and test out some of these GPTs. Some are just okay. Some are pretty cool. Anyways, OpenAI just launched their brand new text-to-video model. It's called Sora, S-O-R-A. And certain users have access to it. It's, they're touting their ability to create complex scenes within multiple characters, motions, details, and more. So very interesting if you're thinking about how you're marketing, whether you're a vendor or a lender, check it out. By the way, there was a commercial in the Super Bowl that was 100% built by AI. I forgot the name of it. I'd have to go back to one of my transcripts from prior, but there was a full AI completed Yep. Yeah, also Super Google Bowl just video commercial. theirs as well as ChatGPT. Uh, so there's a little bit of a race. I just saw a, a, a video on that yeah. over the weekend. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. The, the ability to do this is, is, is quite extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, was on a call, I was on a call earlier today, David, with a very large company. And they didn't understand something that I was on the phone. I was in support of a vendor talking to this one company. And I said, well, if you think about it, let's say pre-COVID, it was transformation, right? Just let's get digital. Then COVID, it was remote notarization. Now it's digital closings. But you know what it really has become? It's beyond digital closings. Now it's automation, right? It's the consolidation of human tasks into automation, making sure that things are done correctly. We've moved ahead. The bar has continued to move up. And so the question is, will it kill jobs? And there was an interesting article in National Mortgage News, and it's titled, AI will kill some mortgage jobs one exec is saying that, and this executive is someone by the name of Catherine Campbell. She's the former chief marketing officer at Annie Mac Home Mortgage, and she has another startup. And that startup focuses on helping companies adopt AI. Beyond that, it's a great question. So as you think, and we're going to talk about this next week, I'm going to go on to something new in a moment here, but I just wanted to bring the topic up for everyone to think about or discussion today. Will AI kill jobs? Are we there yet? Will it make jobs more efficient? Will it help make people more productive or are we at the point where it can kill jobs? 
I don't have, I'm not going to share my opinion just yet. I leave that open. And before I uh, continue on to some other stuff, uh, you have, you want to throw any feedback in there, David? I, uh, number one, I don't think there's any question. I, I've been reading this book and highly recommending the coming, and it is a must read book. And it absolutely is going to kill jobs, but it's going to create other jobs, even as a consultant and a coach, it's going to transform the way we do business. Thankfully, the name of our company is Transformational Mortgage Solutions. It's going to transform what we're doing. So the change is you're going to be still employed, but you're going to be doing it, focusing on the relational side of the equation rather than the process side. So process side, task side is going to limit, be eliminated. Those jobs are going to get eliminated 100%. But the relationship side of the job, of, of the mortgage lending business, that's not going away. I don't think that'll ever go away. No, it's funny you mentioned that. So there is an article. This one I didn't put in here. First, great opinion, David. Thank you for that. Oh, here it is. It's Stratmore. They have what they're calling their customer experience workshop. And so what they say, it's the consumer's experience that matters the most. Price, product, strategy, technology can only go so far in driving profitable relationships. So if you're interested, go check out Stratmore's workshop called the Customer Experience Workshop. But we're never going to replace people. We're going to make them more efficient. We're going to transform the process, David. We're going to make borrowers smarter. We're going to help LOs talk smarter. Remember, originators today are not like what you and I were when we were originators. I used to have to read the guidelines on my own. I have to price a loan out on my own. The folks that have come into the business today, they're just used to, they go right to a pricing engine. We know the Dewey Decimal System, right? Our kids have no idea what that is. So we're going to transform. We need to use technology to educate. Do all originators truly know how to structure a deal? Do they know that if you were to, instead of taking $10,000 off the price of the house, if you were to take that $10,000 and buy down the rate from the seller, that you would save hundreds of dollars per month? Are originators trained or do they have the right tech to quickly tell a borrower what those different structures are? That's where I think transformation needs to come with AI. So great feedback, David. I appreciate it. You have hit the nail on the head, brother. I'm telling you, I've, I'm just sitting here listening on this and thinking of so much. But I, David, I think what we need to do, we need to have a one-off podcast with Alan and really just spend an hour talking about all the stuff that's out there that you can use in mortgage banking. I'm going to give you some examples of some things I think that are missing. I think one of the things in an origination cycle when a, a loan officer is talking to a, a customer, I think... They don't mean to, but they talk down to the customer because they understand how loans work and they assume all the customers do and they don't. Okay. And Mm -hmm. so I was thinking when you talked about that, I said, God, if we used AI and go out there and create a, not a cartoon necessarily, but something artificially that tells the story and tells the different aspects of loan and why it works this way and works that way. I think what it does, it allows the bar to look at it and say, this is not that complicated. I get it. I understand it. And I think that would be real helpful in selling loans. And if you were a mortgage lender and you put something like that available, said, let's give you a tutorial. And it's not somebody standing beside a podium talking about how much a down payment means. It's somebody doing it in one of these AV, AI type rather scenarios where they're showing it and the magical clipboard and things like that. And I think that's all important. But I think the thing that I'm seeing right now that disturbs me in the industry about AI is that I think it's going to make a piece of our population very lazy okay i think people are gonna think of a couple things plug it into ai and it generates this five-page deal for them 
whether it's a marketing promo or whether it's a, a article or whether it's a tutorial or an outline for a class or whatever the case might be, and people aren't thinking, and then they say they get it and they got it in hand, so they created this, they must have looked at everything that could. Well, AI is fallible, just like we as human beings are fallible. And so you're betting on the come that you got everything out there that you should have. And I think so many people lazy and I've gotten aware, and maybe you gentlemen have it, but I have, I've read so much stuff from so many different people. I can just about spot in format and the way things are worded, whether it's been created by AI or an individual. And some of this stuff starkly jumps out at you. So I can understand how college professors now can see where somebody's cheating on a paper using AI. Because after you read enough of this, you start seeing you don't see the human element in it anymore. The human element is added by humor in things and not necessarily emotion in these right. things. And I think it's making a difference. So I think AI has got a long way to go. I think it's very valuable used the right way. But I think it can be very dangerous for the education process in our society and people's growth if used the wrong way. Great, Great feedback, points. Mark. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling everybody, go get the book, The Coming Wave. It is a must-read book. It'll talk about hey, David, so, I have it. I haven't another... read it yet, but I bought it for an airplane yeah, read. Yes. Good. Another way that I've been looking at this on the mortgage sales side, if you shadowed loan officers for a while, they tend to do things the same for every single transaction. They're selling pretty much the same product. They're talking to the clients the same way. Sublimely, they're fitting the client into the way that they feel comfortable and their comfort zone. To me, AI is what's going to broaden their their tool set so that they can really respond to what is best for the customer versus what fits the customer and their comfort zone. You yep. said that much more eloquently than I did. <laughs> A lot fewer words, better understood. Well, Thank you, Bill. That's great. Here's what's interesting based on what you both said. And I mentioned this last week and I had it on my list today as a reminder. I was going to say, don't forget last week to watch or listen to our episode because I talked about how to talk to AI and I have three reminders. You don't need to be nice. AI has no feelings and tell it who's the boss. And if you follow those three steps, you'll get enough out of what you're asking AI to do that it will help and assist you in what you need to do. It's not going to replace you. It has no meaning. It has no empathy, what you were saying, Mark and Bill, but it's an accelerator. And so if you can remember that and use it the right way, it's an assistant rather than a replacement. Great point. Agree. Great point. Great point. Now, um, go ahead, Alan. I know you got one more thing to cover. I've got, I can go on all day, but I'll just show, throw in one or two small things and I'll carry over to next week. I will tell you, the FCC is looking at making AI-generated robocalls illegal. You've probably seen and already heard about this. Right. It's so easy to do. And so there are some steep fines. And I think there's more to come here. But using AI to make phone calls and simulate or imitate someone is also going to be something that is not, not liked or likely not going to be able to be used. And then, David, the other thing I will mention is... AI, and I'm just looking through my list of things for today. I'm going to save a couple for next week. AI is, if you recall, it's something that if you leverage it higher right now for automation, rather than using it for replacement of people, it probably has more value, meaning it can understand and do things that a human will take longer to do or make mistakes, and it can do it intelligently 
Some people may say it's just RPA. Sure, it's just RPA. However, it can do things a little beyond what you'd have to tell and script RPA to do. AI, there's a lot of people integrating with Zapier. And there's a lot of systems with AI that you now can integrate together. Now, not PII data, but you can perform a lot of backend tasks and do a lot of things with AI. That may be, if you're thinking about where to start with AI, that may be where to start. Myself, David at Transformational Mortgage Solutions and others consult in these areas and help people to test pilots and understand what to do. But if you're going to start and you're not sure, it's different than your vendor saying, hey, when you type in your description for something, AI will help you. That's way different. We're talking about leveraging AI to automate tasks and help innovate and assist and grow beyond. So with that being said, it was like a, a word jungle I just threw out there. I appreciate everyone listening. No more bad jokes for today. And if uh, you know how to get a hold of us, it's alan at tms-advisors.com. Thanks for listening to my And by yeah. the way, our RPA, what Mark is talking about is robotic process automation. We'll be seeing a lot of it. A lot more of it's coming in. Here's something I'm going to share. Check out protohologram, P-R-O-T-O hologram.com. Check it out. When I saw this, I about fell on the floor. It is so real and it's interactive. Check out proto, P-R-O-T-O hologram.com. It's pretty extraordinary. This is, We are in a new world. Recommend that book. It's a must-read book. Yes, jobs will be absolutely Ending, but new jobs are being created. And it's what we do best. And it's we are humans. And that's communicating, relating. And that's what we do in this podcast. So we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Alan, Mark, Bill, thanks so much for joining in on this President's Day. Very grateful to have you here. And we are just also grateful for our sponsors, Byte Software, Finastra, Total Expert, Lending Homepage, Truve, Angel AI, the MBA, Lenders One, Mortgage Collaborative, Knowledge Coop, iEmergent, Mobility, MMI, and Modex. Thank you to all our sponsors. And thank you listeners for being here. And we love your feedback. Thanks for liking and sharing. Most important, sharing with your other associates this podcast. Thank you so much. Have a great week. See you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.